I'd like to find myself in a place where I see the Lord high and lifted up. He is high. He is exalted. He is amazing. Let's pray. Father, it is to think about what you have done for us, but even more to think who you are. You are an amazing God. Thank you that as, as, as incredible as you are, you want to know each one of us individually, personally. Thank you for your love for us. Today, open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our series, Our Story, His Story, today brings us to the exciting book of Exodus. The exciting book of Exodus. And and when you hear that word Exodus, the book of Exodus, I'm just curious, what just came to your mind? You see it on the screen, the exciting Exodus, the book of Exodus. What comes to your mind when you think about Exodus? Exodus. I'm hoping that for many of you, the very first thing you thought of was uh, the Ten Commandments. Now, that's not the movie. Though some of you immediately, when you heard the Ten Commandments, that's what you thought of. Because the movie, by the way, does come from the book of Exodus. Um, And the Ten Commandments was given in the book of Exodus. Exodus. Not only do we have the book, not only do we have the Ten Commandments, maybe this morning you thought of um, Moses. Exodus introduces us to one of the most incredible biblical characters we know because in the, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we have what's called the Hall of Faith. Moses is going to have by his name five times more than anyone by faith. And, and as you read the, the book of Exodus, you'll hear about, you'll read about his birth and, and how he was protected and rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. You're going to read about how he has an encounter with God at a burning bush. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. Uh, how he encountered um, Pharaoh and there was this huge uh, battle that went on between him and Pharaoh and how he, he was able to do miracles. And, and you know about, again, the Ten Commandments. They came, uh, were given by God to him. So if you're thinking about Exodus, you're thinking, okay, there's the Ten Commandments. There's going to be Moses. But there's also, uh, if you're thinking about this great book, what a story, the Red Sea. And and I don't know what your go-to passages are, but there are times when you find in life, you're up against it. And it's like, there's no way to get through. Where does your mind go to? You think about the Red Sea. God, your people were facing uh, uh, something that was insurmountable. There's this this sea before them. There's mountains on both sides. They're going to be destroyed, but you made a way. God, I'm just like that right now. I need you to make a way for me. And then when you think about the book of Exodus, you think about, whoops, back one. You think about the tabernacle. 
Now, some of you probably didn't go there as quick as Rick did, but Rick knows that the over half, almost half the book of, the, of Exodus is about the instructions to make a tabernacle and then the building of the tabernacle. Now, the significance of the tabernacle is if we had the time to study every piece of furniture in there and every item that went with the tabernacle, everything about the tabernacle points us to Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1 verse 14 he said, and he dwelt among us. The word is he tabernacled among us. It's a picture of our Savior and how God will save us and how we come into a relationship with him. And as I'm talking now about the about salvation, there, there's another thing you're probably going, hey, when it comes to the book of Exodus, okay, yeah, you got the Ten Commandments, you got Moses, you, you've got this tabernacle, but you've also got um, and as we work with the, here we go, the power, the, we have the Passover. The Passover. It's a story of stories of the book of Exodus, is it not? When, when God is going to, on that last plague, kill the firstborn. As he's going to kill the firstborn, he's going to make a difference. We'll talk about it in a little bit. How that God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Ultimately, this is God's story now of redemption. God is showing that he is going to save his people. We're working with the technology. Here we go. Um, when you think about God's word, when you think about God's word, as we're doing this journey from Genesis to Revelation, I want to take that which may be somewhat complicated. Boy, this is a big book. And there's a whole lot of stuff in here. But if I could simplify the Bible to two words, I would give you these two words. Your Bible is a story that starts off with creation and continues with redemption. Now, that that's, that's may sound simplistic, but folks, that's really the way you need to look at your Bible. From the moment of creation, there's going to be this fall. And we talked about it a few weeks ago, how man fell. And God did not, oh no, what do we do? He now comes in with a plan of redemption. And this, this redemption is going to go all the way through to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we're going to sing the song of the redeemed. It's all about redemption now. And in Exodus, we're going to see how God is going to redeem his people out of bondage. It is the picture of us. We as sinners are in bondage to sin. We are going to have to pay the price for our sin. But God says, I'm going to step in and I am going to save you. Now, as we lay a foundation for the story out of Exodus, we need to start with Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. As, as Rick read, we've got the children of Israel now living in Egypt. We've got 70 of them. They've come down to Egypt. There's been a famine. Joseph has been used mightily of God to not only save his family, but to save the Egyptians. But now we read these words. There arose a new king who did not know Joseph. 
Let that sink in. Here's a man who does not know what Joseph did. More importantly, what it's not saying but is saying, he doesn't know the God of Joseph. And ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a country right now who does not know the God of our forefathers. You know, the number one fastest growing religion in America right now is the nuns. The nuns, not N-U-N-S, nuns, N-O-N-S. They have no God. They don't know the God of our fathers. They don't know that there's been a work that God's done for this nation through the years. And so now they worship no God. That leads to a lot of trouble. For the Israelites, it led to a Pharaoh who became very fearful. And in verse 13 and 14, as we read, we saw that he decided we're going to put all the Israelites into slavery. Notice the words that are used here. He, he, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their works, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. God's people are now under bondage. They are now being under taskmasters who are controlling their lives, making their lives miserable. It's cruel. They're crushing them. This is the opening of the book of Exodus that's going to call for God to intervene in chapters 2. And I won't bring these verses up, but you'll begin to see as you read these early chapters, God's people begin to cry out. God's crying, they're crying out, God, do something for us. Help us. Well, as we come to this book of Exodus, what we're going to see is God is going to get involved. And the way God's going to get involved, he has some, some purposes behind his involvement. He has two purposes, ultimately, that's going to take place in the book of Exodus. And it's up on the screen there. Number one, he wants to reveal himself to Pharaoh. We go back to that verse. There arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, did not know God. So now, uh, as, as Moses comes to Pharaoh about letting God's people go, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let him go. When we get to chapter 7, God says this, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch up my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God says, I'm going to do a work so when everything is said and done, all they can do is say, there is a God. You may want to reject him. You may want to say there is no God. That's fine, but I'm going to show you. But not only did he want to show Pharaoh and the Egyptians there was a God, he's going to show his own people there's a God. In chapter 6, it says, I will take you as my people, and I will bring you to be your God, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You see, not only did the world, Pharaoh and Egypt, need to know there was a God, his own people needed to know there was a God. 
Remember when Moses is before that burning bush and God's talking to him about bringing out the children of Israel? What was his first question? Who do I tell them has sent me? Even Moses did not know God the way he should know him. So when you're coming to the book of Exodus, one of the things you want to pay attention to is how many times God is revealing himself to both the world and to his people. And I want you to know this morning, God wants you to know more about him. And one of his greatest ways of showing himself to you is through burdens and pains and sorrows. Things will happen in your life that God says, okay, I'm not going to waste your suffering. I'm not going to waste your sorrow. I'm not going to waste your burdens. I'm going to show myself to you so that here's what's going to happen. As you're going through a trial, it begins to bring forth a greater testimony. I know God. So here's what's happening in, in Exodus. God is revealing himself to Pharaoh as well to his people. Now, what's going to take place in this exciting book is there are going to be encounters. There are going to be all types of encounters where there's almost what you would see like a tug of war. It's, it's going to be God versus the gods of Egypt. You're going to see encounters where Moses is going to go before Pharaoh. Now, I got tasked with preaching Exodus 1 through Exodus 12. No way that's happening. We'll be here till next Sunday. But what I do want to bring to you this morning is three encounters that does take place in those 12 chapters. The first encounter is going to come from, there's an encounter for salvation. Then we're going to see there's an encounter for sanctification. And then we're going to see there's an encounter for service. All three of these are going to be encounters where, listen, you're going to have to decide how your story fits into God's story. The first encounter is going to be the encounter for salvation. And that encounter takes place in Exodus chapter 12. And I haven't asked you, but if you have your Bibles, you want to go there. Exodus chapter 12, we have, again, this Passover story. And, and many of you, if you've ever watched uh, the Ten Commandments, you've, you've seen this scene. Well, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, we get the key verse. Uh, it says, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will, there's the word, pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, here's the short, quick background for this. You know we've come now to the 10th and final plague. God's been trying to get the attention of Pharaoh. He will not listen. All kind of plagues have happened to make life absolutely miserable. He won't listen. Now God says, we're going to do one more. We're going to go through the land, and we're going to kill all the firstborn. But I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a difference. 
Something that's going to be so distinct, there's no way that anyone can deny it. There's going to be such a difference that everyone will have to acknowledge there's a difference between the lost and the saved, the ones who are Israelites and the ones who are Egyptians. And he's going to say, I've got some things now that must happen. This story has requirements and a response. Here are the requirements. Moses is going to come. He's going to say, okay. God wants us to get a spotless lamb. We want you to select the lamb, a specific lamb. You're going to bring it into your home. You're going to keep it there for four days. And then, now interact here. Think about what I'm getting ready to say. You're going to take that lamb and you're going to kill it. That's the requirement. The lamb is going to be Killed. It's going to be slain. So this special, specific, spotless lamb is going to be slain. And then they're going to have to do something else. They're going to have to show the lamb. It says that they're going to have to take the lamb. Well, matter of fact, let's read it. Let's read it. Exodus chapter 12. Let's read it. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to, the, uh, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb." Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it at twilight. And they are to take that lamb now, and they are to cut its throat. They are to kill it. And then he says this, there's something else that has to happen. You now have to show the lamb. You can't just have that lamb in your house where you're going to eat it. You're going to have to show the lamb. And in showing the lamb, what they're going to do, if you go to the next slide, they're going to have to take the blood and they're going to have to put it on the door. Many of you probably have seen this. Verse 7 says, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Remember that earlier slide that I showed you? There's the knife. There's the lamb that's been slain. Now they're taking the blood. What's happening right there? In the next slide you see they put the blood at the top of the door, side of the door, and it formed a cross. What's going to be the protector for them is the cross. What's going to keep that person in there alive is the cross. So they're going to have to take that blood and they've got to go out there and they've got to put it there. Verse 12 again says this. Now I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. You're not going to stop me. There's no way you're going to be able to stop what I am doing. I am all powerful. You cannot stop me as I go through the land taking life. I can do this. But when I see the blood on your house, it will be a sign and I will pass over you. 
You see, as we now look at a lamb that's been selected, a lamb that is spotless, a lamb that has been slain, a lamb that has been shown, you know what's going to happen? The lamb is going to save. The lamb is going to save. Is that your story? Do you have a story right now that says, I have trusted Jesus? The blood of Jesus covers my life. Is that your story? I want you to just think about this for just a second. I'm a firstborn. Harper is a firstborn. Who else in here? You are the firstborn of your family. You are firstborn. Raise your hand. I want you to think about this. Brian, think about this. Dad comes and says, Brian... Hey, buddy, um, God's going to send out his death angel. And we've got to take a lamb, and we've got to bring it into the house. Brian might even find himself getting a little attached to that lamb. But then Dad says, Brian, now what we've got to do is we've got to kill that lamb. And Brian watches that lamb die. Then he says, Brian, put that blood on that door. And he puts the blood up there. Sun goes down. Death angel is starting to go through the land of Egypt. All of a sudden, you hear people crying and screaming, Not my dad! Not my brother! Oh no, I, I can't believe I just lost my husband! All through Egypt, people are screaming! And you're sitting in the house. I'm the firstborn. I'm the firstborn. More people are screaming. More people are crying. Brian falls asleep. Wake up, Brian. Time to go. We're headed to the promised land. What? Okay. Starts to pack up. He comes walking out the door. First sight he sees. There goes a family taking a child. There goes a family taking a husband. There goes a family taking a son. All over Egypt, people have died. All over Egypt, people are crying and screaming. And all of a sudden, Brian goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm alive. I'm alive. Dad! Mom! I'm alive! How am I alive? I'm the firstborn. God was going to kill all the firstborn. And all of a sudden it hits him and he turns back. And he says, Mom, Dad, the blood of the lamb works. The blood of the lamb worked. I'm, I'm alive because of that blood. I believe there's coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, when you're going to die, I'm going to die. And if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, at the moment we die, we're going to go right into the presence of God. And you know, there's all these people, that, when I get to heaven, I want to ask God something. When I get to heaven, I, you know what's going to happen the moment you die? You're going to see Jesus. And at that moment, I believe you're going to fall flat on your face and you only have one thing to say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb because you put your trust in the blood of Jesus and it works. Is your story right now that you have trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to say something to you this morning. You'll either leave this place today under the blood or over the blood. 
You're either going to walk out of here saying, I trust Jesus and his blood for my salvation, or you're going to walk out of here trampling on the blood of Jesus. There's only two kinds of people. You either have the blood of Jesus covering your life, you've trusted him and you're saved, or right now you're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that blood. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. But you're going to leave one way or the other today. What's your story this morning? Are you trusting him? What's, what, what are you doing with the blood of Jesus? What are you doing with this salvation? Every one of us has an encounter where you've got to make a decision about what you're going to do with Jesus. First off, there's the encounter with salvation. Secondly, there's going to be an encounter with sanctification. Sanctification. We define that word to mean that we're going to become separate from sin, separated away from sin for holiness. We're going to be moving away from the things of this world. We're going to be changing. We're going to become different. We're not going to be like we once were. I, I believe this. God wants to get us out of the world, and then he wants to get the world out of us. Getting the world, getting us out of the world is exodus. He's, he's getting us saved. But now that we're saved, and you're going to see this later when we get to the book of Ex Leviticus, that's getting the world out of us where we become holy people. But as this starts taking place, as God gets us out of the world, and now we've got to get the world out of us, we find we're in a battle. Satan does not want us to be committed. He doesn't want us to be committed for salvation you know what he's saying to you that are lost today? Don't do this. Listen, do not do this. Do not ask the Lord to save you. Don't do it. You're going to ruin your life if you'll do that. Don't do it. But if you are saved, you know what he comes along and says? Okay, you're saved, but here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to do. I don't want you to become committed. So here's what I do want you to do. I want you to become a compromiser. I want you to compromise. And in this story of Exodus 1 through 12, you're going to come to a place in Exodus 8 and in 10 where Pharaoh is going to let God's people go. But watch how he does it. As he says you can go, what he's going to do is he's going to ask Moses to compromise. There are going to be four compromises, and, and I'm fearful, folks, some of you are right now doing one or all of these compromises with your walk with the Lord. For instance, first and foremost, Pharaoh will say in Exodus chapter 8 that, listen, Moses, I, I know that you want to take God's people and go out and sacrifice. I know that's what you want to do. Okay, Moses... Go sacrifice to your God in the land. Well, that sounds pretty good. In the land. Moses is sitting there thinking, now wait just a moment. Hold on a moment. we got to think this through. If we're going to go into the land, not leave the land, stay in the land, what you're saying, Pharaoh, is you are willing to accept our God to be a mixture with your gods. Boy, is that not our day. It's okay for you to be a Christian as long as it's okay for me to have my religion. Why don't we just mix it together? And we got a lot of people who think it's okay to mix Christianity with other religions. You know what Moses had to say to that? 
it is not right. Next slide, looks at it says, it is not right to do so. Moses says, there is no way we can do what you're asking us to do. Matter of fact, it will cause the people of Egypt to become angry with us. We will do what God commands us. You know, here, here's a question. How quick are you to compromise that Jesus is the only way? You want to be politically incorrect today? Just make that statement where you work. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. Now, wait a come on, guys. Lower the rhetoric. Let's all, all religions take us to heaven. That is a lie out of the pit of hell, folks. There's only one person that can get you to heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ who went to a cross and died for your sins. And if his sacrifice on that cross is not the only way for someone to be saved, then why did he die on the cross? We make a shamble of everything Jesus did when we say there are other ways to heaven. There can be no compromise here. Pharaoh said, just stay in the land. Not only that, he says, okay, listen, listen, listen. All right, you don't want to stay in the land. Watch what he does next. Next verse says, only you shall not go very far. I can't stand those fanatic Duke fans. No one ever says that unless you're a North Carolina fan. I can't stand those fanatic North Carolina fans. No one says that unless you're a Duke fan. We understand being a fan is to be fanatic. But, uh, now, you know with your Christianity, don't you dare become fanatic. Why would you ever take serving Jesus serious? Come on, folks, calm down. Just have your little religious, go to church, and then get, get on with it. That's what Pharaoh said, don't go very far. Then Pharaoh says, okay, all right, I hear you, I hear you, you want to go. All right, only the men, chapter 10, only the men. Let's keep the family out of it. Let's don't get this thing of where you got to have you and your family serving God. Let it be an individual thing. Let, let, is this happening? Let your children choose how they want to live. We'll wait and let them pick out what gender they want to be. Oh, my word. Just the fathers, not the family. I'm going to throw a question to you today. I, I like to just throw at these provoking questions, and here's my question for you. Um, how is your home different than a lost person's home? I mean, you're here at church right now, and this is a house of God, but is your home a house of God? Is your home a place where there's worship taking place, where prayer's taking place, where Bible reading's taking place? Your home is a place where Christian music is being played and being sung? Is your home a place where Bible study takes place? Is your home different than a lost person? Or are you simply living the Christian life right now? 
Pharaoh's going after compromise. Watch this, one more compromise. And this, oh, this was big. He, he says, okay, okay, okay. You don't want to keep your family here. You want them to go, but here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Now, they were slaves, but as slaves, though, they had things that could take care of them and do business with. This is their business. They were shepherds, remember? They had cattle. Okay, leave your, leave your business in Egypt. You can have your religion, but don't take it into the marketplace. Ladies and gentlemen, when this service ends... Are you going to turn off your Christian lights until you get back here next Sunday? Or will you walk out of here refueled, having had a time to corporately worship, and now you head into the marketplace where you work and you take Christ and Christian principles with you? One of the saddest commentaries right now is we have Christians who leave their Christianity here and they're not taking it into their home and they're not taking it into the marketplace. Where are you supposed to shine the brightest? In the darkest. The lights are on in here, folks. The darkness is out there. You can't leave here and go out there and turn your Christian light off. Don't compromise your faith. When there's a call to do something wrong, the Christian has to say, hold on a moment. Wait just a second. I don't think we can do that. I'm not sure. I can't listen to the dirty joke. I certainly can't tell a dirty joke. I can't be a part of something that's going to be unethical with our government. I've got to, we've got to obey the laws. Do you take your Christianity with you to work? Here's what Pharaoh's doing. Moses, I hear you, buddy. Why don't we just compromise? And Moses said, there will be no compromise. So we're having an encounter. The encounter for salvation, you're going to have to choose the blood. We're having an encounter for sanctification. There can't be any compromise. And now we're going to see an encounter for service. I take you back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, where Moses and God, they're going to meet. And I apologize, we'll just have to fast forward just a little bit. Um, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is now going to have this incredible encounter. He's back on the backside of a wilderness. All of a sudden, a burning bush starts burning. A bush starts burning. He's like, what is this? And he goes up to it. I'll summarize very quickly. He says, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, Don't, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off of your feet from the place where you are is holy ground. And then God says this, I am the God of Abraham, the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said to him, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. 
Now back to Exodus 1. We read this earlier. This is why we read it this earlier. Remember the setting. They're in bondage. God says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Prezites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a light of sights. God says, I'm going to bring my people out of this horrible place of bondage into a place that is filled with milk and honey, the promised land. For Moses, this has got to be music to his ears. This has got to be the best news he's ever heard. Oh, my word. God's going to deliver his people. I saw the bondage. It was horrible. I am so glad. This is awesome, God. I can't believe you're going to do this. Verse 10. (laughs) Verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, it sounds great that God has a plan to reach the world for him until the plan becomes personal. Moses had to be loving the fact that God wanted to deliver his people. And all of a sudden, God says, and Moses, you're it. Tag, you're it, buddy. You're my man. You're going to do it. Now, I have a whole sermon. I can't, don't even have time to touch it on how Moses responded because he didn't respond with, yes. He went with, oh, no. He started making excuses. But ultimately, he will. We wouldn't be talking about him if he did not do what God called him to do. Moses is faced with God is calling him. God has a plan, folks. God has a plan. He needs a person. So what's your story this morning on service? What's your story on service to carrying out God's plan? I I just want to ask this question this morning as I wrap it up now. When's the last time you said... Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Are you struggling to serve? Maybe as a young person. Boy, I got a whole life in front of me. If I say, here am I, what will God do with me? I might end up in North Carolina working in a Christian school. I didn't know what it meant for me to say, here I am. That one day I'd end up in Dallas, Texas. One day I'd end up at Liberty University. I didn't know. I didn't know. I just knew when God said, I got something for you to do. Here am I. I'm yours, Lord. I don't belong to me. I belong to you. Are you surrendered this morning to serve? Can you say this morning, God, I'm available for anything to go anywhere, anywhere to do anything for you. Moses' life changed with this encounter. And I believe God's working in this church to bring a number of you to say, here I am. This morning, the book of Exodus, I find to be incredibly exciting. It's exciting because it has these encounters. And there is the encounter this morning for salvation. Are you washed in the blood? 
Now, for you that are saved, you know that song. You know that's what that means. But if you don't this morning know what that means, if you've never been saved, if you've never asked the Lord to save you, I'm here to tell you the story of salvation is available to you. God's not willing that any should perish. He wants you to be saved. He sent his son to die for you. He was buried. He rose again. And he offers you today the gift of salvation. Whether you're in this room or you're watching by the internet, God loves you. And he loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. Are you this morning living a life that is committed? You're a committed follower? Or are you constantly compromising? Boy, I sure hope they don't ask where I go to church. I sure hope they don't ask, are you one of those Christ followers? I hope I can just go to work, do my work, and come home, and no one ever knows that I have anything to do with Jesus. And if they bring up anything that goes against the Bible, I'm just going to cower away. I don't want anybody to know. You compromising? Or do you stand firm? And then this third encounter. Uh Uh-uh, God. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. All kind of excuses for why you can't serve. Or is it, here am I, God. I can't, but I'm willing to do. God's not asking you to bring the abilities. He's just asking you to bring the availability. You're having some encounters this morning from the book of Exodus. Are you saved, sanctified, willing to serve? Let's pray.